Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxander Hodge. Thanks again for tuning today. I have a colleague uh, from Calgary, Calgary, Tina Verghese. Is am I saying that properly? I know you have it explicitly written here. <laughs> uh, you were very close, Verghese. Verghese. Okay, yeah, I, missed, I, I missed us um, an A there. <laughs> so uh, Tina is one of my colleagues, um, and we're both um, uh, members of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers, and um, she's delighting us today to talk a bit about diversity. So I'll tell you a little bit about her background and we'll just jump right into it. Um, Tina um, is named one of the top 10 notable speakers by Ignite Magazine. Uh, she's the president of T-Works and professional speaker and trainer specializing in diversity and inclusion, inclusive leadership and work-life balance. She's pro uh, previously worked with the Alberta Employment and Immigration where she spearheaded international recruitment uh, missions, as well as uh, running a successful relocation and settlement firm. And she writes for various um, uh, publications, uh, Human Resources Institute of Alberta. And she's presently the president of the Canadian Chap the, Cap the Calgary chapter of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. I didn't realize that, Tina. Uh, <laughs> Past president now. I, yeah, it was... Okay, for two years for the Calgary chapter and now passed. Well, what I love is here that you were the face for diversity for the <laughs> jobs campaign. So when was this? This was a little while ago. Do you remember when they used real women in their campaign? Oh, you know, and, and now was... when I read it earlier, I was thinking, I was trying to go through in my mind to remember the pictures because there was a, you and a couple of other women, right? Well, they had a number of different ads, and yes, I, I was part of the uh, one of the ad campaigns, but interestingly enough, for Dove hair products. So a lot of it was the skin products. Uh, so nice. you did not see me in my skivvies on a billboard, which is not a bad <laughs> oh. thing. <laughs> well, I was thinking, well, I'm going to go back to YouTube and try to find this. But <laughs> well, if you, yeah, you know, actually, interestingly enough, you go, if you do go visit my website, there's, uh, they had done a documentary. And they did interview a couple of the women from Calgary, myself and another that was that were in the ads. And it was all about the Dove ad and diversity and beauty. And um, you, it's a quite neat because they have one of their more famous ads start. And I have it on my website. It's it's sort of the transformation of a model. Right. And you might remember it, you know, without makeup and then how yes. she's ultimately airbrushed. And then then they did a documentary and I'm in that documentary. So. Um, yeah, so if you're just really bored and wanting to watch, that's on my website. You can see that two-minute blurb. Well, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I don't think it's just out of boredom. I'd love to see it. So, so yeah, my little claim to fame. Well, is, that's, is all, that, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. So Tina also has two kids. She has five fish. Yeah, um, four now. Four one, now. We lost one. Out. Okay, one, <laughs> one husband, to be clear. <laughs> and she has recently started hip-hop. Uh, classes that that yeah. sounds fun 
Yeah, it is fun. I love to dance and, you know, it's you know, dancing. Actually, they say dancing helps with keeping memory, et cetera. So, uh, so definitely I like doing things like that for my physical fitness well-being. Well, it's so long as it's fun, right? To stay in shape and then obviously have some fun while you're doing it. Absolutely. So Tina, so obviously you started off um, working for employment and immigration and then you've kind of, um, you know, done such amazing things, um, spreading the word on inclusion and diversity. So tell me kind of how you made that evolution, what kind of things you were seeing out there and when you started and kind of, um, you know, kind of get us up to speed about what you're doing today. So I worked for Alberta Immigration and had the delight of working with people that chose Canada to be their home. A lot of skilled workers, a lot of immigrants coming as investors, etc. And I was born here, born and raised in, in Canada. So it was really an enlightening experience to meet with people that ultimately chose Canada to be their home for whatever the reason might might be. Some simply just wanted more space. Some were leaving for political strife. Some were wanting better education for their children. So I, I loved that experience. And I and when I worked with immigrants from all over the world, I realized as much as we are alike, we are different. And we I being based in Calgary, large oil and gas community, lots of expats, et cetera. And we were bringing at that time a ton of skilled workers to work in oil sands, et cetera. I noticed a bit of a gap that I might be able to help fulfill in terms of understanding cultural differences. There were some misunderstandings, miscommunication, and obviously opportunity. And so I just felt maybe I could fill that gap. So I first started off with a relocation and settlement company when I left, left the government. So I was working with expatriates that worked with multinationals from all over the world that had uh, a, a, a subsidiary here in Calgary. So they were international firms that had a subsidiary. So I would work with Norwegian firms. I would work with Thai firms. And it was just such a fun experience for me because it was really just bringing the world to you. And, uh, and then from there, I started speaking. So I started speaking on cultural diversity and, and uh, diversity and inclusion and, and those cultural differences. And, and really from a workplace perspective, with over 25% of our population in Canada being foreign born, I just recognized that there were some misunderstandings that I probably could help alleviate and, and hopefully build bridges versus build walls. So I was speaking on this topic over a decade, probably when it wasn't as popular as it is now. It's definitely one of those topics that's at the forefront and much more in demand. And so um, even doing more of a deep dive, speaking on what is, you know, unconscious biases, et cetera. So it's been a, it's been a really interesting journey and it's certainly one I'm passionate about both professionally and personally. I know I've had my own experiences being a person of color, uh, being a female. So definitely I've had some experiences, you know, both positive and negative. It's all part of our story. So it, it, I use a lot of that in my own speaking and, and uh, use the stories of others as well, just to help people understand, you know, what others potentially are going through. I use a lot of humor. I find it is a bit of a, a, a serious topic. And so I find if you can use humor to to lighten but also to to inspire and and to ensure that people understand the messaging when when they can laugh and learn really goes far so that's sort of what I like to do when I speak so 
you know, you started obviously um, when you were working with the government. What, wh when was that time period that you worked with the government? So I worked both munis municipally and provincially and both on the international development side, and economic side. So I started, uh, I started, this is a while ago, dating myself a little bit. <laughs> I started 1996 and mm -hmm. I left in 2007. So I was almost a decade with, uh, with the government and um, left at a time when I think with government, sometimes, you know, you have to make that, you hit a fork and you decide, am I going to stay or am I going to depart, leave and, and do my own thing? So I, without really having a clue, became an entrepreneur. And uh, like any entrepreneur, you don't necessarily know what the road is going to be. And it was definitely rocky that first, I'd say 12 to 18 months, but I've been, uh, I don't look back. It's been a fantastic experience. I still keep in touch with some of my colleagues and um, I, I very graciously keep in touch with a lot of the new immigrants that I actually uh, helped um, relocate and settle when they moved here. So that's been a wonderful experience to see them thrive here in Canada. Now, when, when you kind of think of that time and you think of today, how have things shifted? Like, you know, obviously there's a lot more diversity, uh, you know, obviously I'm from, I, you know, I'm close to Toronto, um, you know, back when I came to Canada and I came to Canada in 1983, um, diversity, you know, there was a bit of diversity, but there was not as much. Now you, right. when, when you go to Mississauga, Toronto, it's, it's very diverse. So when you're out there speaking to companies about um, some of the uh, mishaps or misnomers. What are the main things that are happening out there, say, today compared to, say, back into the 90s? Well, as you mentioned, the shift in demographic has been quite prevalent, and it's only continuing to shift. It's only increasing in terms of uh, foreign-born immigrants making their home here in Canada. So, and, the, and a lot of people think visible minority, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, we have a lot of Europeans, we have a lot of people from from the UK, etc. So it is a very diverse population, and that multiculturalism is is it can really be a positive. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, the world is a very diverse place, and we communicate differently. We have, you know, when it comes to religion, culture, uh, you know, even small talk can differ in the office, and sometimes it can cause. I am noticing. You know, it, because our demographic is shifting, but people don't necessarily recognize their leadership capacity needs to shift, then it can cause some issue uh, with companies. A lot of companies, you know, the demographic, depending on the city, is uh, very high. And in Vancouver, you're looking at 45% foreign born. Some, a place like Calgary, you're looking at about 25%. But mm -hmm. even some of our rural centers, um, some, so a lot of immigrants like to make uh, rural communities their home. So they're increasing too. And I do notice that, you know, the diversity of, of different centers is, is increasing across the board. So it's, it's definitely something that I don't think any company really can ignore. Um, you're best off to under, you know, the awareness, the understanding and embracing is, is key and ultimately adapting as well. I'm a big believer of, you know, keeping you need to keep your your culture and, and retain that so it's so important but at the same time you need to adapt accordingly because you know you at the end of the day it does come down to to leadership and and recognizing you know everybody that you work with are individuals and needing to understand a little bit about their lens where Absolutely. they're coming from 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, I came from Trinidad and Tobago when I was, you know, 17 years old to go to school. And I remember, you know, what, what, how hard it was for me, you know, coming and, and going uh, to grade 13. Just, and I, you know, obviously I spoke English and lots of different things, but it was such that process of acculturating to the difference. There was, it, it was like a bit of a tsunami on a teenager. <laughs> there were lots of other things, right? Absolutely. You know, and so that process of feeling comfortable, obviously, like you're saying, that takes a bit of time. And then sometimes just the cultural norms of the majority culture and, you know, kind of maintaining your identity as part of, you know, whatever your primary group is, but integrating into the majority culture becomes very, very key. What Absolutely. What do you hear from a lot of, um, you know, immigrants now in this day and age? Do you find that they're finding it a lot easier integrating into big companies um, are a lot of big companies doing things well now to kind of think of diversity and inclusion from that lens? I'm not sure if they're necessarily integrating easier and it's somewhat dependent on the country that they're coming from. Um, we're a very individualistic culture in Canada and in North America. And, and what that means is sort of we look at our own achievements, our own accomplishments and collectivists, you know, so our top source countries are mostly coming from collectivist countries, India, China, um, the Philippines are more collectivist in nature. And so they don't necessarily look at their own achievements, accomplishments, but they look at that from a team perspective or from a group perspective, community perspective. That can be a positive and a negative. But without that awareness and understanding, that actually can affect the workplace um, in so many ways. It can affect how you lead a meeting. It can affect performance feedback. It can affect productivity if you don't understand how a mixed team might work. So I think in some ways it's not easy per se because people don't necessarily have that um, capacity in understanding cultural difference. However, what I will say has changed and what I find very uh, enlightening and and encouraged, I'm encouraged by, is there are some companies now that do have, they're not only embracing diversity and inclusion initiatives, a lot of companies in the last three years have started embracing diversity and inclusion initiatives within their companies, definitely more medium and large ones. And some are even, you know, uh, including a manager or director of diversity and inclusion. So that was a bit of a term more in the U.S. that was definitely more prevalent in, in the last decade, having actual managers of diversity and inclusion. And I'm, I'm very um, encouraged to see Canadian firms are starting to have those positions identified as well. So I think that change and shift is happening because it's being seen, you know, usually, um, you know, any kind of cultural shift in any, any type of organization occurs because of need, but it is good to see that it's starting to happen. And, and I would say it's, all, it's very uh, new. It's only in the last three years that I've seen those initiatives occur. Well, that's amazing. So they're they actually creating those positions that says that that's, all, that's on their radar yeah. to recognize and how to integrate. And uh, like you said, um, you know, if you think about uh, individualistic versus um, you know, collective, you know, that perspective of culture. Um, so I, ca- I come from a, a Caribbean culture, which is very, very uh, collectivist. We Absolutely. are, you know, we think about, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you, you know, when you would be out and, you know, you did something wrong <laughs> in the island, it was like, how was that, gonna, you know, impact your family? 
That was the first right. thing that I grew up learning. Right. So then I would think, you know, even when I was in North America, I would think, oh my goodness, I, you know, I had to, I had to get along because if I didn't, I was representing what my family, how my right. family would be perceived. And then you come to North America where, you know, it's like, wow, this is different. It's very different. Especially as a teenager, you're like, you're, you mean you're not going to get in pro- trouble with your parents? And they're like, oh, no. it's, yeah. It, it was something it's, that was quite, quite different for me. Now I understand it. But at that time, it, it was a, just a, a different shift, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit about a, um, unconscious bias, because I think that's something that, you know, we all do. Even though, you know, we believe, most of us are heightened and believe I'm not, you know, I don't judge. But talk, let's talk a little bit about that because I know that's, that's your expertise around unconscious bias and kind of how that plays out um, in, in, in the workplace. Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, definitely having unconscious biases doesn't mean that you're racist or discriminatory. It truly just means that you're human. Uh, We all have unconscious biases. It comes down to the neuroscience of the brain and how our brains work and how we get inundated with so much information on a daily basis that our brains have developed shortcuts on how to um, kind of figure out and compartmentalize that information. So uh, in some ways, it's it's a positive, but Unfortunately, we're not born with bias. We compartmentalize and and make those judgments because of our, it might be cultural upbringing. It might be the history we're told. It might be the friends we keep. It might be social media. So we get biased along the way. We get influenced along the way. And we start to make decisions that ultimately we try to make the right decisions, but we have to decide, are these the right decisions? And those are because we're making unconscious decisions. We're not making conscious decisions Mm -hmm. because we're biased by judgment. Um, We tend to have uh, judgment when it comes to gender, race, religion, sexual orientation, age, uh, disability, both emotional, physical, and weight. Those would be sort of the key areas Mm -hmm. where we do have uh, unconscious biases against others. Statistically, there's over 170 biases that people potentially could have. Um, the, The ones that probably are most prevalent in the workplace tend to be around gender bias, uh, maternal bias as a subset of of gender bias, but I feel maternal bias actually affects both men and women equally, as well as uh, affinity bias, which a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of. So, you know, we do talk a lot about, you know, women and leadership positions. And of course, there's enough stats to back up that they're, they're not necessarily representative of the workforce uh, in those leadership positions, but, you know, more importantly, the why behind it. And a lot of the why comes down to, to those unconscious biases that we have um, against, against gender. And it's not just men that have potential biases against women without even recognizing it. It's women. Women have biases against, against other women, against ourselves as women. (laughs) And so it's just even recognizing that in in and of itself recognizing how to, you know, small, small things. So for example, you know, in a, in a meeting room situation, if you're facilitating a meeting and a female is, is saying something, an idea, and someone cuts them off, male or female, as a facilitator, just saying, you know, something like, I really want to hear the rest of your idea, blah, blah, blah. And, and that is just one way of just making sure that people, everybody in this world wants to be seen, heard, and acknowledged. So just making sure that they're able to to have that idea statistically you know sadly women are cut off in boardroom settings more than men so it's a small thing as a facilitator of a meeting just to be cognizant of it 
And I've, uh, I've, you know, I was an executive with a health and wellness firm uh, quite early in my career. And, and, you know, you would see it, you would see it um, at, at those boardroom tables in different companies, right? Where you could see, you know, kind of the lay of the land, you know, and females would say, speak up, their ideas would be listened to, but then sometimes would kind of, you know, be parked aside and then say a male executive would see the same thing and that would be listened to. So, you know, I could see that that does still exist, but I think things have changed, are shifting. Shifting. Yeah, yeah, they're (laughs) shifting. I don't, I wouldn't say changing, but they're shifting. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you go out and you have meetings, I would have meetings and it was a predominantly male environment and you would, you know, I would go and report on trending analysis with health and wellness. And, you know, kind of when the when men started to talk, I, I would take care of a hockey league, for instance, not knowing a thing about hockey back then, Gina. And um, <laughs> you know, the 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 insurance broker and the my uh contact both played hockey. So then they would just literally, you know, quite and and then I didn't take it personally, but really if you looked at it, they would just kind of uh communicate about something that really I didn't have much input into. You know, so sometimes right. it'd be, and I would say, Hey guys, you know what? I don't know much about hockey, but I know a lot about psychology. I know a lot about <laughs> those types of things. And I would jump in and joke around, right. right. To be able to, to be included in the conversation. So yeah. you know, it's, it, it's interesting, but I think like to your point, it is getting better and we all have to work better um, at, at recognizing, you know, I just had a thought about that person or um, that person's capacity and how is it that I could maybe think a little bit differently in the future when something doesn't kind of fit the subset of what I understand? Exactly. And I have to say I'm guilty of it, of my, of it myself, actually. Like I had an experience, uh, I was, um, well, I, when I was president actually of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers for Calgary, we were having a fundraising event. And, you know, a couple of my female board members had offered to, decorate the room for uh, the fundraising event. I didn't think anything of it. And then, you know, when I got there, uh, two of the female members and one of the males was assisting. And I realized that I, you know, it's, it's called office housework where we, we assign, you know, or rather we assume rather than assign duty. And it can happen very unconsciously that we just Mm. sort of assume that someone will take on a duty, you know, even something as, as, simple as note-taking at a meeting and you just assume the female may have better penmanship. And, uh, you know, I, I really try when I'm facilitating meetings, if I'm the facilitator, if I'm the paid facilitator, I actually don't ask people to, um, decide within the groups, but I actually, as the facilitator will, will assign, um, just to ensure (laughs) that we're not sort of, um, going into those gender, roles very unconsciously and then once I do it well then people see oh okay so they kind of learn by example but it's really just being aware of it because we can naturally do this it's it comes down even in our personal lives you know um I have a son and a daughter and I realized for a very long time we were having our son mow the lawn and our daughter wasn't being asked to do the same she can probably bench more than my son so (laughs) you know like why 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 are we asking him to mow the lawn when you know at the end of the day or or shovel the snow she's she's stronger she works out you know just as hard if not harder she's a strong girl so it was it's just some of those biases that we just don't even realize that we're implementing and just need to be a little bit just aware of of them 
um, to both at the workplace, pro professionally and personally, just so that, you know, we recognize the potential of everybody that's, that's in the room. Now, Tina, I know we could probably talk a whole lot more because this topic is so important and, you know, there's such breadth and depth to it, but I know we're on a certain timeline. So um, what I want to know is just any last words of wisdom that you would share with companies or leaders out there um, that are really recognizing that they have to either implement or to make better um, inclusion and diversity in the, in the workplace, and then also to tell everyone where they can reach you should they want to work with you, to either speaking or training. I think the best word of advice, I'm a big practical uh, speaker and individual, and I think, you know, just look around your company, recognize that people are noticing things. So for example, uh, you know, one of the companies I've noticed, I was working with years ago, and they were a, a, a full on leadership team of all males. And then they had um, an opportunity for, for a town hall, and it was anonymous, but you know, they could put in Q&A and and someone wrote, well, is it, is it only um, males that can apply for leadership positions? Like it was a very, you know, it was just sort of noticed that there was a bit of a, a ceiling there. And I guess I would, I would ask companies to look around and look at their staff and, and see if, if they're potentially, uh, I don't want to use the word guilty, but think of affinity bias. So affinity bias is, is ultimately when you're hiring in your own image, you're hiring people to remind you of yourselves. You're using the, the guise of culture fit and saying, well, they'll be a great culture fit because they, you feel that they're going to be good, you know, um, melds into the company without realizing, you know, the more diverse and the, the more diverse your, your staff is actually potentially statistically, the more innovative, creative and engaging the workplace mm -hmm. can be. If, led properly. So just look around and see, you know, and not just from a diversity perspective in terms of, you know, gender or even visible minorities, but, you know, look at, at how, how many people do you have that, that might be, um, you know, disabled or may even have mental illness that, you know, sometimes it has a, an empathy that they might bring, um, to the table and, and with an innovative idea product, whatever it might be, like your staff is reflective of, who you're serving. So, you know, to have that innovation and diversity within your staff will, will assist you. So just kind of just take a look around and be observant as to, you know, the people that you're working with. And, and if, if it is a very diverse culture, make sure diversity doesn't work on its own. You have to diversity and inclusion go together. So I always say diversity is who's on the team and inclusion is who gets to play. So we really have to make sure that, you know, everybody is playing hard for 2020. Awesome. So where can everybody or anybody listening that wants to learn more um, uh, that might be interested in working with you, where can they reach you? Uh, best place would be to visit my website, which is tworksforyou.ca. T being Tina, works for you being the goal. <laughs> so tworksforyou.ca is my website. Uh, from there, you can see all of my keynotes and workshops that I provide, as well as uh, speaker demos. You can see myself in action, as well as a lot of uh, the wonderful clients that I've worked with along the way. It's been a wonderful journey for me. Awesome. Well, uh, what's my takeaway? My takeaway is that <laughs> we need to continue to um, 
challenge ourselves with our unconscious biases on an ongoing basis. We all judge, uh, and I, I don't say that, that in a critical way, but we all do just based at, to that affinity bias um, lens that uh, Tina's talking about. So my challenge to you is to think about, you know, how is it that you're making decisions that's making someone be in line with you and maybe to uh, challenge yourself to be diametrically opposed to what you're like to see if you can start making that change today. So if you're uh, needing anything from me, I'm Roxanne Durhodge. I'm a mental health and wellness specialist and you can reach me at roxannedurhodge.com. Again, Tina, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. Okay, take care. Thank you. Tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxannederhage.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.